Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. It is Thursday, the 20th of April, 2023. Whew. All right, we have a lot to cover this morning. Um, I don't I don't know if you thought when you got up this morning, wow, Carmen is going to have more to cover in our time together than, um, than time might allow. So I have had an extra cup of coffee so that we can... Um, well, so we can cover as much ground together as absolutely possible. I want you to be encouraged in your walk of faith today. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to invite you to overhear much of the conversation today um, because I'm I'm really um, I'm really thinking that most of the conversations that we're having today um, are kind of interior to those of us who profess to be Christians, even if even if we don't always act, behave, respond as Christ would. And so um, I just say that going into the conversations that we're going to have today, because we're going to talk with a couple of folks um, about the walk of faith, about the transmission of faith one generation to the next, about the calling of Christ that we would um, not only know him, but make him known in ways that others around us can genuinely receive. So just letting you know that going in today, our goal is to seek to cultivate the mind of Christ and then to operate out of the mind of Christ in the world so that we can represent Christ or represent Christ to others as we walk out our faith. So um, our growing your faith verse of the day, which you can always sign up for at myfaithradio.com if you haven't done that already, great opportunity. It comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says here, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. This is one of my prayers every single day for you. Yep, I pray every single day for you. Um, And I haven't stopped thanking God for you. This is a ministry that we do together, by the way. Um, You're not just passively receiving uh, what's being offered here you are responding one way or another. And I'm very thankful for you and the way that God is cultivating a heart of faith within you and a life of faith through you and the expansion of his kingdom in and through you. And I want to thank you in advance for praying with us about next week's spring fundraiser and and I'm praying that um, if this ministry has been a blessing to you, if this ministry is a blessing to you, that you would be asking God in advance of next week, God, how do you want me to respond? How do you want me to support Faith Radio, the Faith Radio Network, the media ministry that, um, 
that you're participating in right now. So I'm asking God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ to give you spiritual wisdom and insight today so that you might grow in your knowledge of God and that you might walk faithfully today with him. Um, One quick headline here before we move into our conversation with our friend Ben Johnson, because it is, after all, Thursday morning. Um, Population around the world is rising. This would not actually surprise you. We, We told you that India was going to pass China in terms of population this year. Well, um, demographers are unsure exactly when that is going to happen, uh, when India will take the title as the most populous nation in the world. Um, but India's, uh, well, part of that is India's last census was in 2011. But let's just look at it this way. Both China and India, both China and India, each of them has more than 1.4 billion people. Combined, those two countries, those two countries combined, make up more than a third of the world's 8 billion people. So more than a third of the entire population of the globe live in two countries, China and India. And I want you to consider that as you consider the governments in operating in those two countries and their relationship to the Christian faith. And if that doesn't drive you to your knees to pray, and if that doesn't drive you to consider how we in this generation are compelled to carry out the Great Commission um, in in new ways than we have thought about doing it before, um, let me encourage you to begin thinking about that today. How are we going to reach? How are we going to reach more than a third of the world's population in China and India when neither one of those countries welcomes Christianity or conversion unto Christ? It's a compelling question for us as Great Commission Christians. Next up, Ben Johnson's going to join us. You know him as the rights writer. Yes, we are going to talk about the mailman case before the Supreme Court. Not our mailman friend in North Dakota who's listening every single day. Um, But this is a mailman friend, and so um, we're going to take up the mailman case before the Supreme Court. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. This is my right, a right given by God, to live a free life, to live in freedom. Our friend Ben Johnson is back. You know him as the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. You can find what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. All right, tell us about the mailman and the mailman case before the Supreme Court. I mean, don't just tell us about every mailman. I I love my mail carrier, but that's not who we're talking about today. Yeah, I don't know that much about John Kasich's father. I know, no, I'm just kidding. The <laughs> John Kasich, of course, former governor of Ohio, who's, uh, when he was running for president, made a great deal about the fact that his father was a mailman. Uh, this mailman, on the other hand, 
is that Gerald Groff, whose case is before the Supreme Court, as you say, in fact, they just had oral arguments a little bit earlier this week. Every time they have oral arguments, both sides come out and declare victory. But uh, Groff is uh, riding a wave of Supreme Court cases that should uh, ambi- should uh, should tend to be in his favor. As you say, he's a mailman and uh, he doesn't believe in working on Sundays. He is a Christian. Uh, he believes that uh, since one is a is a Christian, believes in the Ten Commandments, that uh, on the Lord's Day you should go to church and you should do no servile work. And that shouldn't have been a problem in his given profession as a mailman, except that a few years ago, uh, about 10 years ago, the post office made a contract with Amazon that would deliver Amazon packages on Sundays, so which is kind of bizarre in itself, the government outsourcing itself to a private company in order to remain solvent. That's, yeah, that raises questions in itself. But here, Groff uh, was forced eventually to, uh, to take these packages or give up his job. So he's saying that he should not have to have made that particular decision. And a coalition of uh, groups we wouldn't ordinarily think of as uh, people who would speak up in favor of an evangelical Christian have weighed in on his side. Um, yeah, so it's not just Christians who maybe don't want to work on Sunday. There are other people of other religious expressions who have particular days that they don't want to work. Exactly. And, uh, of course, uh, part of the uh, coalition that uh, sided with Groff here is Jewish. Uh, part of them are Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And then Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs as well uh, have all sided with Groff on this. Uh, the Jewish people in Seventh-day Adventists, their interests should be quite clear. They're Sabbatarians uh, of a different day, but nonetheless, they don't believe in working on that day. And they say, if this person can be forced to work, someone who belongs to our religion can be forced to work, we want to defend him. Uh, the same way with uh, Muslims, of course, uh, their their day is Friday. And then Sikhs and Hindus uh, have, have uh, joined this uh, case as well. Uh, Sikhs have in the past have been forced to shave their beards, and uh, that's a symbol of their religion. Uh, Sikhs, of course, are, are sort of a, a combination uh, in, in terms of their beliefs. They believe in reincarnation, but they also believe in one God, and uh, they are an Indian-based religion uh, primarily, uh, so it's sort of a, a meeting place of Islam and uh, of Hinduism, and you kind of see the, the difference there. They're often confused for one or the other, but they have spoken up on his behalf as well. So this isn't just the moral majority or uh, family research or uh, first liberty, which is behind the case in in the, this case. They are. Um, this is a vast group of many different religions speaking up. It would be there would be nothing wrong if we're all merely First Amendment organizations that we usually think of or Christian organizations. But I think this is very powerful. This coalition that says if you violate any of our rights, we will all stand up together to say that all religious rights should be protected under the Constitution, regardless of whether we agree doctrinally or not, everyone has the right to free exercise, which is one of the clauses in the First Amendment. All right, we're talking with, uh, with, ta- we're talking with Ben Johnson. Um, you can read what Ben is writing at WashingtonStand.com. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about the hostility um, against churches in the United States. Those attacks are on the increase. And how uh, is the government responding? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people 
who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, he writes for the Washington Stand, which is a part of the ministry of Am I right about this, that there's a connection here to FRC, or did I make that up? That's right. That's right. That's the parent organization. All right. So the parent organization of Washington Stand is um, is the Family Research Council. The Family Research Council has an issue brief out right now on the hostility against churches. It's a supplemental report for the first quarter of 2023. Ben, what's in it? Well, uh, no good news, unfortunately. Uh, you're right. Uh, my, my friend Ariel Del Turco put this report out, and it's commenting on the first three months of 2023. came out uh, just the very beginning of this month, so it was as contemporaneous as you could be. And she goes through documented attacks on churches. Now, these are not reports. These are things that have been documented. There's a police report and there's a media report that is publicly searchable, with usually with photos, so you can document what happens. What she found was the first three quarters, uh, the first three months, I should say, were the first quarter of this year, attacks have nearly tripled compared to the same period last year. So in 2022, you had uh, a certain number in the first three months of this year, you had 69 separate attacks on churches. Uh, Ten of them were suspicious fires. Three of them were gun-related incidents. Three of them were bomb threats. And one of those involved a pipe bomb that was actually found inside a 127-year-old church in Philadelphia. When we we follow these through lines, it occurs to me that it doesn't appear as if the government is responding as enthusiastically or dedicating as many resources to discovering who um, is targeting these churches as the government might be giving resources to um, find out, let's say, who, who is standing on the sidewalk one foot, uh, one foot to the wrong side of some rule related to speech outside of an abortion clinic. Well, that's. Uh, I think you've uh, spoken very well on that. Uh, yes, the uh, w- when it comes to this particular report, uh, for example, the obviously the most uh, shocking act of violence uh, is is the one that took place at Nashville Covenant School. Three children were shot. Three members uh, of the staff were shot, and then ultimately the the attacker lost her life as well. And so, a total of seven deaths there, six of whom uh, were associated with the school. 
And uh, for example, President Biden is having uh, three of the members of the Tennessee legislature who were expelled, the so-called Tennessee Three, at the White House. But no, he has not yet uh, had anyone from the families, anyone who has suffered the violence at the White House. So uh, that, there's certainly a, a seemingly a redistribution of sympathy at the national level. And uh, to this day, we don't know what is in the, uh, the manifesto that the shooter wrote. On the other hand, uh, within moments, it seemed, we knew everything about all of the other mass shooters. Uh, we knew everything about the family of Mark Halk, the pro-life uh, protester who uh, was outside as sidewalk counseling and either shoved or was shoved, depending on whose side of the situation you believe, someone who was on the other side, but uh, the, the charges had been dismissed at the local levels quite a long time earlier. Or we know uh, a lot about uh, everyone who's been involved in protesting against this administration. If they uh, step over the line in any way, shape, or form, suddenly uh, the, the hammer of the law comes down upon them and the, there's a media file ready to go. And yet when it comes to... Uh, churches and attacks on churches. I have not heard this administration speak uh, about the issue at all. And as it turns out, January was the worst month, not only in uh, this quarter, but in the last five years that uh, my friend Ariel has been looking at this 45 attacks in one month. We knew that uh, the months following the leak of the Dobbs decision was bad, May, June, and July of last year. But actually the, the highest number thus far since 2018 happened this January. And we have not heard a great deal of pushback or even raising this as a concern that it's even happening. We're talking about vandalism, we're talking about arson, talking about bomb threats. We're talking about gun related violence. Um, when we're talking about the targeting of churches and actually verified incidents across the United States of America, just in the first quarter of 2023, um, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, we're talking about communities of faith where um, that that space is precious to us. Um, I I will. I think there are some people who consider their their sanctuaries and their church properties sacred. But I'm not a person who sees a strong division between the sacred and the secular. Like I'm I'm an every square inch kind of girl. But it is precious to me. Um, the the sanctuary where I gather with other Christians to worship. Um, that property is precious to me. It is set apart in a way that, you know, the the property adjacent to it, I feel differently about. Um, and so when we talk about our spaces, the places where we gather for worship, and when we talk about those being targeted um, in very, n- not just illegal ways, but in ways that deface and make it very difficult in some cases for folks to um, continue to gather to worship there, like, I don't know, Ben, I guess I, I want to, there's a part of me that wants to have like a feelings conversation about it. Like, it doesn't just make me sad and it doesn't just make me angry. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, there's this like level of revulsion. Like, I, I feel gross about it. Well, rightly so. And, and again, whether you believe that uh, the interior, the sanctuary is a holy place or you believe that it's simply a meeting place, it is a, certainly a set-apart place, uh, which is, of course, uh, one of the definitions of the church, to be called out of the world, sanctified and set apart from the rest of the world. And so when we meet, the place that we meet uh, is a particularly important place to us. And these, these attacks, 
uh, or targeting churches. Uh, if someone had vandalized a series of targets or 7-Elevens or uh, a Planned mm. Parenthood, certainly, we would hear about it in the news and we would understand that there was a class of institution being targeted uh, and, and being destroyed. But when it comes to churches, we do not hear that. And it, we would understand if Planned Parenthood were being vandalized, it was with an, an, an intention to try and keep people from going there. And yet, when it comes to churches being vandalized, in, in many cases with political messages, as her report mentions, some of, of course, many of them related to uh, the abortion issue, but other issues as well, uh, which she goes into in the report. In some cases, it's for political reasons. In other cases, uh, it is out of uh, personal issues. Uh, but all of these are on what a church symbolizes, which is the meeting place of God with men and places where men render their praises unto God. So this is this is where the church becomes the church and does its job functioning as a body rather than separated individuals. When we come together, there is something greater than the sum of its parts, and it is targeting that, trying to make that a more difficult reality to manifest here on earth. So it should make us feel revulsed whenever any place of worship is uh, being attacked uh, because of the fact that it symbolizes a meeting place of God with men and particularly the fact that it manifests the church on earth. So anytime that we see someone trying to stop a, a mission work, we would understand that that is wrong. Anytime we see uh, legislation that makes it more difficult to share the gospel or to pray in a public space, we understand that's wrong. And certainly any action that makes it more difficult for Christians to pray in our own spaces, we should understand that that is wrong and where it originates. I, um, I remember... I think that my thought process here, Ben, goes to all of the people who benefit, who are blessed by um, the extension of God's goodness and grace out of those houses of worship. And so I'm thinking of recipient, um, not just individuals, but recipient organizations in the community that really do count on that local congregation, that local church um, for food, for shelter, for ministries of, you know, various and sundry kinds. And I remember, this goes back a number of years, and I don't remember all of the circumstances related to it, but First Presbyterian Church in downtown San Antonio, Texas, was under some kind of, I can't remember, threat. It might have been about tax status or something. Anyway, and on the day that this meeting was going to take place at the church where you know, these folks were going to come, these accusations were going to be made um, spontaneously. This wasn't something that the church organized. This was the response of people who'd been blessed by that church, who count on the ministries of that church. So um, homeless folks showed up. They they set up all along the sidewalks around the perimeter. It sits on a full city block in downtown San Antonio. And they set up, um, you know, a perimeter um, and they were there ready to encounter the folks who were going to come and, uh, and accuse the church of some kind of wrongdoing. And they were there to testify. This is our church. I mean, they weren't members they're there, but they count on it. And um, single moms who were benefiting from an extended ministry of that church through another local organization. Um, they showed up as well, and they were like in the in the narthex, the gathering area of the church with all their little kids saying, this is a church we count on. We count on these people. Um, don't, you know, please don't do what, whatever it was that they were thinking about doing in terms of restricting their ministry and their outreach or their presence in that city. Um, and so I do think that part of this is people who benefit need to start showing up and saying, hey, this, we may not be members here, but this is our church. Like this this church helps our community um, not just survive, but thrive. These people are 
um, are doing God's work in in this town, in this city, in this state. And so let me encourage you, if you're listening right now, and you benefit in any way downstream um, from the ministry of a local congregation, let them know that you know and that you support them, that you want to encourage them, and that you want to stand with them in what, for some people, have become very, very difficult days. Hey, Ben, as always, thank you so much for being here. We look forward to reading what you are writing at WashingtonStand.com. And I look forward to you being on this uh, radio ministry for many, many years. So I hope next week <laughs> your share goes very well. May God bless you and uh, God be with all of your listeners. Thank you so much. Hey, let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. practicing Christians or are we practically atheists? Just think about that for just a moment. We live in a culture of death and we profess to be people of life. We live in a culture that makes its decisions without regard to, in fact, with like intentional disregard toward God. And we as Christians say we make our decisions based on God's view, God's character, God's ways. But do we really? And and do we even know? Like, are we so saturated in the culture that has raised us, that has catechized us, um, you know, now to the third or fourth generation, that we aren't even really able to distinguish between that which is genuinely Christian um, and that which is practically atheistic. That's the conversation we're going to have next. Phil Davignon is going to join us. The book is Practicing Christians, Practical Atheists. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I want to wake up, I want to restart, put the drum beat back in my All right. Are you a practicing Christian? Is that the way that you would um, answer the question if I asked if you're a person of faith? In fact, you might be a practical atheist. Phil Davignon is joining us now. He is a professor at Union University. His most recent book, Practicing Christians, Practical Atheist, How Cultural Liturgies and Everyday Social Practices Shape the Christian Life. Phil, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. It's good to be here. Thank you. I want to just start with the image on the cover of the book. Um, so we are, the perspective um, in the photograph, we are in the row behind a guy with uplifted hands. It is without question the posture of worship. Like I recognize this person is standing in a posture of worship, but he's not in a church building and he's not facing an altar, or is he? For people who've not seen the cover of the book, Phil, what are we looking at? He is in a sports stadium, but you're right. I mean, we could almost see it as a kind of altar because that's something that we hold up as important, as powerful. It gives us meaning and and like it almost invites a sense of worship. Like when you're at sports, I think that we can see that pretty easily in today's world. Yeah. So this is, I think this is an easy one to see, um, particularly when we think about, I mean, (laughs) 
I don't know how many times we've seen people like literally praying in the stands at critical moments in, in a particular game. So, um, so I want to live, right? I want to live as a Christian. I want to live faithful to God. I want to be an effective representative of Christ within the culture, but that's a huge challenge. Um, I think we, we tend to seek in the church to treat like surface level symptoms, certainly in sort of Christian worldview conversations, we are often talking about surface level symptoms, um, but we're not engaging at the level of formation or reformation. So can you talk about that? Sure. Yes. I think it's very easy to think about what is a Christian. Well, it's a person who believes in God, who believes in the Christian God, Jesus, a person who's accepted Christ, a person who goes to church. These are all important things, by the way, right? But if we reduce it to that, I think we're missing something essential because Christianity is about the heart. It's about our desires. It's about our imagination. And so I think it's very easy to look at the world and think it's becoming more secular because people don't call themselves Christian anymore. In fact, um, 30% of Americans are religious nuns now. They don't, do not have any kind of religious identity. They just say, I'm nothing. And that's 40% of young people between 18 to 29. So it's easy to think this is secularization. Like people do not call themselves Christian. They don't go to church. They don't believe Christian doctrine. That's certainly important, but I think it goes a lot deeper into the heart and into the mind in terms of, are we actually disposed to worship God in our everyday lives? Yeah, it's easy for me to point to someone else and say, well, that person is secular because that person is saying they don't believe in God. Um, That person is not engaged in uh, a a worshiping community, like that person doesn't go to church, that person does not profess to believe what I believe. Um, But in reality, if I'm doing the same things they're doing, then even though I call myself a Christian, I may be just as quote-unquote secular as they are. Exactly. It's kind of like low-hanging fruit to say, well, like the world out there is secular, right? Other people are more secular than I am because I still go to church, I still believe. But if I look at my own life, there are certain ways where I myself, like you could say, like have become somewhat secular, not in that kind of way, but in the way that um, it's hard to worship God in everyday life. I think that it is endemic into modern culture where we just, it's really hard to see God's presence. It's hard to worship him. And I think that is the heart of secularity, not if, if like if like somebody actually calls themselves a Christian. <clears throat> Okay, so now you and I are going to get super practical because your book's very practical, right? So we're gonna we're gonna delve into um, the arenas of education and work and um, consumption or consumerism, um, leisure and rest. Give us give us an intensely practical example of what you're talking about. Yes, um, why don't we start with schools? I think it's very easy to think about are schools today secular? Well, yes, you can look at public schools and say. They teach content that's not necessarily Christian. They'll sometimes challenge the Christian faith. They'll say things that like are woke or something, right? That's a thing today. And um, that's certainly bad. That certainly is in one sense secular. But I think that in a different sense, um, schools could be secular if they train you to see the world through a secular lens. And that could even include Christian schools. So like, like if, if like you have a school that helps people to see the world as it's just raw material to use and information and data to gather in order to make money in the market or like it has to be practical, right? Everything has to have a practical use. Um, 
And that's certainly a good thing, but that's a very secular mindset to look at creation and to say, this is only something to know and understand and love if it has a practical use, if it can make me money in my future job. Um, that's certainly important, but if you only see it that way, that, that's a very that's a very kind of secular view of reality. And I think that even many Christian schools, because they call themselves Christian, they still train people to see the world in that way. And so in some sense, they're, they're like these schools are actually secularizing people because they're saying, we're helping you to see the world through a secular lens. Yeah, and and it's really hard to see because it's water that we're swimming in and it's and we've been raised in it. Um, it, ha- it It is who we have become. I heard a conversation recently, Phil, and because I was reading your book, um, you know, this, with this, you had this in the foreground of my mind as I was listening to this other conversation. And what these guys were talking about was um, actually like birth control and how many kids people have. And mm-hmm. that if we really are operating out of God's view, then we ought to be fruitful and we ought to be multiplying. But most mm-hmm. people, most people today, most Christians today, um, that is not how they do their quote-unquote family planning. They decide how many kids they're going to have, and they orchestrate everything so that that is how many kids they have. <laughs> and through right. through whatever means necessary um, to either limit that number or make sure that they get the ones they want when they want them. Like, we we don't operate out of a biblical worldview even when it comes to the formation of our families. And... Mm-hmm. And that's like a, you know, and so I, I guess, you know, in listening to that, I was like, huh, I bet Phil would track with that, even if we all confess, that's the way we all have done it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes, exactly. I think that it's easy to see secularity or the secular in terms of belief. So do people believe the right thing about sex? And many people do. But I think that Christians oftentimes, even if they have the right kind of beliefs, they have the wrong kind of imagination. They don't imagine sex from a Christian perspective. We don't talk about sex for one thing, but also we don't imagine it from a Christian perspective as this is an image of God in the church. This is something that has deeper meaning, mm-hmm. but we don't really see it that way. We actually kind of see it through a secular lens in terms of either do or don't. And do and don't are important questions, but sex has deeper meaning. And I think that we often miss that as well. A sign of secularity, again. We're talking with Phil Davignon. Uh, his book is Practicing Christians, Practical Atheists, How Cultural Liturgies and Everyday Social Practices Shape the Christian Life. Um, it's way more accessible than that title may lead you to believe, and we do have copies to give away. And so if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I would like help thinking about this intersection of sociology and theology, because that's really what this is. This is a conversation about sociology and a conversation about theology, but it's intensely practical. Um, If you're interested in a copy, text the word book to 877-933-2484, and you can enter the drawing. Um, Phil, the the book is surprisingly brief. I mean, it's short, but man, it is is packed, and it's got a ton um, of references. Like, I felt like I could use the bibliography from this book and build a library in relationship to this, and not just a library that's going to help me like think right about these things. But you talk a lot about desire. The Really, it's not about my worldview as much as it is about what I desire. Yes, absolutely. So what we love is what drives behavior, I think. Um, it's hard to think that, like, I think people oftentimes think it's what you think, it's what you believe, and then people act. And 
that really isn't consistent with cognitive psychology or sociology of culture, where it's actually people's desires and their loves and how they imagine or see the world. And it's oftentimes hard to articulate that. You can like you can actually ask somebody like in like a survey or an interview, like what do you love, what do you desire? And they're gonna give the safe Sunday school answer, of course, right? But 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 it actually goes a lot deeper, I think. And so I think if we can think about what are the factors in culture that shape people's hearts and their desires and their imagination, that is the most important thing for Christians. Not I mean, it's still important to say, what do people believe and do they still call themselves a Christian? Those are certainly important things to think about. But even more important, I would argue, is imagination and desire. Those two things. So good. We're talking with Phil Davignon. The book is Practicing Christians, Practical Atheists. Are you a practicing Christian? And and not just in saying it and not just going through the rhythms and the motions of you know particular activities, but when you think about the way you actually function, um, paying your taxes, driving your car, going to the grocery store, planning your work and or your leisure, your retirement, like, are you operating out of a genuinely godly, biblical, not just view, but affection? Or are we really functionally or practically atheists as if, you know, these decisions are up to us and, you know, we're we're making these decisions. We're the decision makers here. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that we're not operating really in the way that God intends? That's the conversation that we're having. We're going to continue talking with Phil Davignon here in just a moment. You can uh, text the word book to 877-933-2484 if you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies of Practicing Christians, Practical Atheists we have to give away today on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We're talking with Phil Davignon. He's a professor at Union University. The book is Practicing Christians practical atheists. So, Phil, um, what does it mean to say that we have counterfeit virtues? Or what does it even mean to say that we are practical atheists? Yeah, so to be a practical atheist is a person who lives as if God does not exist, even if they believe that God exists. And so um, that certainly includes things that are moral, so sex, drugs, etc. But I think that at a deeper level, it goes down to the heart. And so... um, I think that what it means to be a Christian is to cultivate certain kinds of dispositions and virtues that allow us to love God and worship God in our everyday lives. And I think it's easy to cultivate um, certain kinds of counterfeit virtues as well, where um, we think that we're kind of doing the right thing, we're acting in ways that are pretty good, but 
we aren't actually worshiping God in our everyday lives. We're, we're more like a religious consumer as opposed to a person who is able to worship God in everyday life. <clears throat> and, the re- and the religious consumer thing is super transactional. Like, it, it, I've checked off these boxes. God's checked off these boxes. I'm good with him, and now I can live my life as if he is not. Yes, that's right. I think that, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be too critical of churches, but churches sometimes invite this a little bit, like, like because they're all kind of competing for people to come. And so they say, like, it, like you know, like mm. if we can offer the best sermon and the best music and the best programs, and we have more people, and we're going to grow our ministry. And I think that that comes from a good desire, but it can lead to a kind of consumerism where people are saying, I'm going to shop around for the best thing, like, right? And so, um, and that's just human nature also, but it doesn't lead to a deeper kind of formation where people are able to say, I'm able to actually cultivate virtues and dispositions because they're just coming to consume various items that are offered by their churches. <clears throat> so I think um, I think that's a an accurate assessment. I also think it's an easy trap for... Um, for churches to find themselves in because it is the culture, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. the church culture of the day in which we live. And so I do think that's really challenging. I don't think that most people who go into ministry, at least the ones I know, you know, would say, oh, I just want to go and run an organization that has a bunch of programs and we're, you know, we're worn out and we wear people out. No, they want to form disciples. They want to be a, um, you know, they want to be the crucible Alongside the family, they want to be the crucible of faith, where faith is formed and deformed people become transformed by the renewing of their minds and engagement in um, genuine practices that help cultivate not only a Christian worldview, but the Christian life, like walking with Jesus in every moment of every day. However, you've, uh, you've, you've made an accurate assessment. That's not what most of our churches are like. And so talk with us about formation um, as individuals, as communities, ultimately as the culture, um, if we recognize that we're deformed, like if we, if we, if we agree with you that, that this is wrong, then how do we begin a process of personal and community reformation that ultimately leads to individual, communal, and cultural transformation? Sure. I think it'd be easy to think if we can just create the right program and get enough people to do it at our church then we can transform people. If we can just bring people to church for an extra hour a week on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights or something for an hour, we can talk to them. We have this great program and that's a good start. And that oftentimes helps people, I would say in some pretty significant ways, but it's only one hour a week. And the kind of secular deformation that I'm talking about is so pervasive. I think that it's touching people um, like every day, like for hours and hours every day. And so an hour of church, an hour of ministry, that's certainly good, but I worry that it's only a drop in the bucket, that it's not going to be enough. Um, And so I think that we have to think about things that will happen on a daily basis, right? Um, So is it actually possible to see people from your church on a daily basis or twice a week Mm. or three times a week for prayer and for encouragement, right? And for scripture study. that doesn't fit for our lives because we're too busy, right? Most people can't do that. And churches say, we understand that you're busy. You can only come for an hour a week. Just come for an hour a week on Wednesday, right? And to be honest, that's not going to be enough. That's not going to form people who are actually deep Christians, who've internalized the Christian faith in a deep way. It does for some people, right? But it's not going to work for most people because we're embedded in a secular culture. And so 
I think we need a kind of formation that is daily or at least several times a week. Um, I think that it has to be embodied in some deep way. So people are actually doing things together and not just sitting and listening, right? <laughs> because talking heads are important. I'm a talking head right now, right? <laughs> but um, that's not enough to give deep formation. So embodied, um, I think it has to be relational. I think it has to be more than once a week. Those are keys, I think, to have a deeper kind of formation. It can turn people from um, a certain kind of practical atheist into an actual Christian. <clears throat> I remember uh, being in a Sunday school class, this goes back a few years, and we were talking about um, the the experience of the people who God, you know, calls to be a people out of Egypt, right? He calls them to be his people, and they have this Red Sea moment that we all recognize. And then they get on the other side of that, and they're, it doesn't take them very long before they're grumbling, and they're wishing they were back in Egypt making bricks, like as slaves, and somebody in the class being like, I just don't even understand that. Like, I don't even understand. And this man in our class who is from Africa, he's only been here in the United States a few years. And he said, I don't think you understand that they're Egyptian. Like, they're, they're, they're slaves. That's the way they think about themselves. They're, this is, they're longing for the life, the only life they've ever known and the place they've always known and the and where they fit in a in a culture like God had to take them out, like physically take them out and take them away in order to begin cultivating within them a different understanding of themselves and turning them into his people. And I was like, that is so good. And that is discipleship. That is what Jesus does. Leave the boats, leave your nets, leave your family business, leave your family, come away with me, follow me. It's a it's not an hour a week. Jesus doesn't say come to a you know, study of the Old Testament scriptures or, you know, the scriptures at that point for, a, you know, for an hour a week. Jesus says, you know, come, become, become mine, become like me, learn me. It's a, it's a, it, we have reduced it over the course of time. We have reduced it as to, you know, to something that is a part of the schedule. Like we work it into our schedule. That's not, <laughs> that's what you're inviting us to do. You're inviting us to think totally differently about my life in Christ, my life with Christ. Um, and it's not just working out in the calendar. Absolutely. It's a hard sell, I think, because it's hard to find hours in that week. I cannot find hours in my week oftentimes for prayer. And so I kind of think, what kind of life have I created, right? <laughs> what kind of life do I live? I'm too busy to pray or see other Christians on a daily basis or a couple times a week. And it's hard to do, but if we want to be Christians who've cultivated those those kind of um, certain kinds of virtues and dispositions that are necessary to live the Christian life and to worship God, I think we have to prioritize it and take a hard look at our lives and think, how can I come together for true formation with other Christians on a daily basis in an embodied way? Phil, it's a hugely important, not just conversation, but um, challenge, opportunity, invitation. Thank you so much for initiating it, getting us thinking about it. Um, thank you for Practicing Christians, Practical Atheists. That's the book. Phil Davignon is the author. He's a professor at Union University. I feel like there's going to be more to this conversation in the future. Phil, thank you so much. Thank you, Carmen. Hey, if you uh, want to enter the drawing for the copies uh, that we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to talk about some things going on in the culture 
We're also going to talk about Life Ride USA. Yeah, I bet you don't even know that there's a Life Ride going on right now. Cool deal. And we're going to talk about forming the faith of the next generation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.